Welcome to the Old Bridge Baptist Church podcast. We hope you find the following sermon to be edifying for your walk with the Lord. If you have any questions or feedback, please feel free to reach out to us on our Facebook page. You can also visit our website at obb.church for more info. Now here's the sermon. Thank you, Mark. Happy Easter to everybody. Good to see everybody out today. Good singing today. It's always good singing, especially today. And uh, I hope you enjoy your Easter today. I'm going to have you turn your Bibles with me to Matthew chapter 26. Matthew chapter 26. We're going to start there, but then we're going to move over to John chapter 21. So Matthew chapter 26. I think one of the things that often is, is overlooked is this passage here, Matthew 26, verses 30. To 35. So Matthew 26, verse 30. So let's get a little context with verse 30. And when they had sung a hymn, they went out to the Mount of Olives. And we talked about that on Friday evening at the Good Friday service. They went to the Mount of Olives and to the Garden of Gethsemane. Now, prior to that event taking place that we looked at Friday evening, then Jesus said to them, All of you will be made to stumble. Because of me this night, for it is written, I will strike the shepherd and the sheep of the flock will be scattered. Now, this is what's often missed. And I think the disciples barely heard the second part or barely heard this verse, excuse me, verse 32. But after I had been raised, I will go before you to Galilee. Now, when Christ makes that statement, the apostles are offended, especially Peter. So I don't even think he hears that verse. And in verse 33, Peter answered and said to him, even if all are made to stumble because of you, I will never be made to stumble. Makes that strong statement. Jesus said to him, assuredly I say to you, that this night before the rooster crows, you will deny me three times, which he did. Now keep in mind the Jewish, in the Jewish calendar, 6 p.m. is the beginning of the day. So it was the beginning of the day Friday, and then through all the night, there was the, the trial, and then around 9 a.m. is when he started. they started the, um, the process of the, the crucifixion. And so at the break of dawn, Peter denies Christ three times, but verse 35. Peter said to him, even if I have to die with you, I will not deny you. And then I think the other disciples kind of chime in, and they said, um, that they wouldn't deny him either. And so said all the disciples. What's all to miss is that verse 32, and that's what we want to focus on today. But after I have been raised, I will go before you to Galilee. In other words, you're going to forsake me, you're going to blow it, but I'm going to restore you back to service. And that's what takes place. Now, turn your Bibles with me to John chapter 21. Because this is the Lord Jesus Christ doing just that. He restores them back to service. John chapter 21. And we'll be looking today at verses 1 
through 19. Sorry, my phone, I had a, wasn't connected to the Wi-Fi, sorry. John 21. So the title of the message today is Restoration Slash Service. And we have four points. God will make life miserable to get our attention. Number two, none of us will ever be worthy to serve the Lord. You can't just, you can't say, well, if I just can do this, I'll be worthy. We'll never be worthy to serve the Lord. Number three, God's desire is for close and intimate fellowship. God doesn't want just a casual relationship. He wants close and intimate fellowship. And number four, allegiance to Christ is what he demands. She saw Brother Mark read both passages. God expects allegiance, but it's through his power. It's through his power, and he's going to make that clear here today. So let's have a word of prayer, and we'll consider this passage. Father in heaven, thank you for the word of God. Thank you for each person here today. Lord, as we take the word of God and we open this precious uh, portion of scripture, Father, we pray and trust that you will speak to us. The spirit of God dwells in every person that is a believer. Everyone has trusted Christ as Lord and Savior. The spirit of God dwells within us. The spirit of God is personal. And I pray that he would take this message and apply it to each person as he sees fit. Father, we'll thank you. We pray that Jesus Christ is lifted up and that you would hide me behind the cross. We pray in his name. Amen. Now, just get a little context again. We're probably familiar with it. But on Easter Sunday, uh, keep in mind, of course, that uh, Christ was um, on the cross from about 12 noon to 3 p.m. He dies. Joseph Arimathea takes him, puts him into his tomb. And he's in the tomb on um, Friday, one day, Saturday, the second day. And he rises from the dead the third day. And there are numerous people that he goes to. And interesting, the first person to see him is Mary Magdalene. It's not a noble person. It's not a king. It's not one of his apostles. It's this woman that we don't really know that much about. Christ cast out seven demons and, and she was probably from uh, Magdala or Magdalene. That's it. That's what we know about her. And then Christ shows himself um, to the other two Marys, Mary the mother of Jesus and James and John, shows himself um, to Peter, uh, to Clopas and companion, shows himself to all the disciples with the exception of Thomas, then to all the disciples and Thomas. And that takes, that, that takes place about eight days later. And now he's going to reveal himself to seven of his disciples. And again, the first point we want to see here is God will make life miserable to get our attention. In verse 1, after these things, Jesus showed himself again to disciples. So this is third time he's shown himself to disciples, the fourth time to Peter, and the second time to, to uh, Thomas. At the Sea of uh, Tiberias, which is really uh, on the Sea of Galilee. It's on the west coast, and uh, it's, there's a town on that sea called Tiberias. And in this way, he showed himself. So it's going to describe what he did. Simon Peter, Thomas called the twin, Nathaniel of Cana, 
and Galilee and the sons of Zebedee, that's James and John, and two other disciples were together. And it's th those two other disciples are unnamed. Many scholars think that's probably Andrew and Philip because they were from that region. So seven disciples he reveals himself to in Galilee. And I don't think there's any reason that we can look into or should look into and say, why weren't, didn't he reveal himself to the other disciples? I think probably because they're just these disciples are from that region. So he reveals himself. And the Bible says in verse 3, Simon Peter said to them, I am going fishing. You recall that was his occupation before he was walking with Christ. They said to him, we are going with you also. Peter was a, was a leader, especially in the beginning of the church until Paul came along. They went out, immediately got into their boat, and that night they caught nothing. Now, can you imagine? I'm not much of a fisherman. But I can imagine being on a boat all night, and these men were trained fishermen. They're on the Sea of Galilee. They're fishing at night. It seems to be that they're fishing all night, and through the whole night, they don't catch anything. That's got to be discouraging. And that's why I give the first point. God will make life miserable to get our attention. Perhaps you're here today and you don't know Christ as your Lord and Savior, but you've been thinking about it. Maybe life is getting miserable and God is drawing you into himself for salvation. For those of us that know the Lord as, as our Savior, perhaps we have drifted a little bit and God may be getting our attention. Could be through conflict with friends. Could be through because of maybe through financial struggles or, or family problems or, or the hobbies that we once had that meant something to us don't or our jobs or, or, or we're just not satisfied. Could be that God is using some of those things to get our attention. Now, he certainly is for the, for the apostles. He's trying to get their attention. Point number two, none of us will ever be worthy to serve the Lord. Now, I want you to put yourself in Peter's position and the position of the apostles. Jesus Christ, we talked about this Friday, on, in, in his, his time of greatest need. He's in the Garden of Gethsemane. And, and he knows what lies before him. He knows the beating he's going to take. He knows the fact that God the Father somehow is going to turn his back on him and pour out his anger and wrath on Christ. That's why I said, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? So he knows those things, and he asks his disciples to sit with him, and specifically Peter, James, and John, but they are sleeping. But what makes matters worse, when he's ready to be arrested, and he's arrested all of his apostles who said they would die with him, forsake him. I got to think if I was in their position, even after Jesus was raised from the dead, and I was excited, I got to think, well, I guess I'm disqualified to serve Christ. I mean, I forsook him in his time of greatest need. I think what's important for us to understand is we'll never be worthy to serve Christ, ever. It's only his grace that allows us that relationship with him. And I think he's bringing that out here in verses 4 to 6. But when the morning had, had, had now come, Jesus stood on the shore, yet his disciples did not know it was Jesus. So he's about 300 feet away, 200 cubits away. 
And so they don't recognize him on the shore as they're in the sea. Then Jesus said to them, children, have you any food? Children is a term of endearment. And they answered him, no. Now imagine if you're fishing all night and you don't catch anything. And somebody says, hey, how'd you do it? Did you catch any fish? No. Not, no, thanks for asking. No, don't bother me, right? So that's what's going through their mind. And they said, no. And then he said to them, cast the net on the right side of the boat and you will find some. Wow, does that sound familiar? Did that happen before? Of course it did. In Luke chapter 5, verses 4 to 10 and 11, we'll look at that in a moment. But in that passage, the same thing happened just a little bit further north of that area. And that's when Jesus Christ called them into the ministry. And so I can imagine them saying, wait a minute, is that? And they cast the net. So they cast the net and now they were able to draw it in because of the multitude of fish. Therefore, verse 7, that disciple whom Jesus loved, that's the apostle John, said to Peter, it is the Lord. So they knew. They knew because of this. Now, let's go to that passage in Luke chapter 5. Again, we're on point number two. None of us will ever be worthy to serve the Lord. Luke chapter 5, verse 4. This is when they are called into the ministry. When he had stopped speaking, he said to Simon, launch out into the deep and let down your nets for a catch. But Simon answered and said, hey, Master, we have toiled all night and caught nothing. Nevertheless, at your word, I will let down the net. So Peter said, you know, again, we did this all night. I don't want to do this again. We're aggravated. We're discouraged. We want to just go home. And when they had done this, they caught a great number of fish and their net was breaking. So they signaled to the partners in the other boat to come and help them. And they came and filled both boats so that they began to sink. When Peter saw it, now look at this, he fell down at Jesus' knees saying, Depart from me, for I am a sinful man, O Lord. I'm not worthy, God. You're calling me in the ministry. I'm not worthy. And Jesus just glosses over that. For he and all who were with him were astonished at the catch of fish which they had taken. And so also were James and John, the sons of Zebedee, who were partners with Simon. And Jesus, and Jesus said to Simon, Do not be afraid. From now on you will catch men. Unworthy. It wasn't like Jesus, it wasn't like Peter had done some, uh, took some great step of faith and Jesus said, now you're worthy to go into ministry. It wasn't that. He blew it. Broke it. And Jesus says, yeah, you're not worthy, but I'm going to call you into ministry anyway. None of us are worthy to serve the Lord. None of us are good enough. Good, good enough. We have to say that despite that, God is gracious. And God is merciful and God is forgiving. And I give my heart to you, Lord, and use me. Whether it's ministry or your job or whatever it is, just use this sinner for your glory. You see, God delights in weakness and God delights in brokenness. And so I think as we go back to this passage here 
in John 21, I think Jesus is reminding these men that had to be discouraged, that had to be down, that had to say in their hearts that obviously because of what we've done, God's not going to use us now. And Jesus shows them the opposite. Now, number three, God's desire is for a close, intimate fellowship. And I think we see this is in verses seven and following. Therefore, that disciple whom Jesus loved said to Peter, it is the Lord. It's interesting, by the way, John the apostle writes that. It's not that Jesus is saying that. John just knew that Jesus loved me. And he, and he, and he dresses himself off in that way, which is absolutely beautiful. And then the Bible says, now when Simon Peter heard that it was the Lord, he put on his outer garment, or he had, for he had removed it, and he plunged into the sea. And that would have been Peter, right? Peter would have just, you know, taken the dive. And so he goes, the Bible says in verse 8, But the other disciples came in a little boat, for they were not far from land, but about 200 cubits. Again, that's roughly 300 feet, dragging in that with fish. Then as soon as they had come to the land, they saw a fire of coals there and fish laid on it and bread. Jesus said to them, bring some of the fish which you have just caught. So Christ has some fish. He has them bring some fish. Simon Peter went up and dragged the net to land full of large fish. 153, as a matter of fact, fish. I don't know. They, they must have counted it. It's, it's written there for a reason. It, to me, it just shows there's a lot of them. And although there are so many, the net was not broken. God's grace. Jesus said to them, come and eat breakfast. You see, in those days, when you broke bread, when you had a meal together, there was a, an intimacy about that meal. There was an intimacy about the friendship. And it kind of, it kind of built the friendship into a, a deeper friendship. And I think the Lord Jesus Christ here is saying is not only do I restore you, but I still desire for an intimate relationship. Yes, you forsook me. Yes, you deserted me in my greatest hour of need. But I forgive you and I restore you and I love you and I want the best for you and I want to have a close relationship with you. Yet none of the disciples dared ask in verse 12, who are you? Knowing that it was the Lord. Jesus then came and took the bread and gave it to them, and likewise the fish. By way of application, I think this points to, again, intimate fellowship with God. I want you to think, perhaps when we do our devotions, that would be something like sitting down at a meal with Christ. Sitting there and conversing. As we pray, we speak to God. As we read his word, he speaks to us. Perhaps we can sit and journal and write our thoughts and pour our hearts out to God. The point is this, that God saves us. 1 Corinthians 1.9, God did not save us just to put us into heaven. God did not save us just to minister to others. God primarily saved us. He called us to be in fellowship with his son, Jesus Christ. And the word fellowship is the same idea. It's a close, intimate communion. And as we think of Easter, and as we think of de Christ's death on the cross, yes, he died for our sins. Yes, he died for forgiveness. Yes, he died that we may have a place in heaven. But he also died, and never forget this, he died so that we can have intimate, 
close communion with him. That's ultimately where our joy comes from. First John chapter one, verse four, verses three and four is that when we have close, intimate fellowship with Christ, our joy is full. And I've said this before, the idea of full is a glass in a sink and the water's on and the water is pouring out of the glass. And that's what God desires with us. And then finally, our last point, allegiance to Christ through his power. God expects and commands and demands allegiance. We saw that in the Old Testament passage that Brother Mark read. We saw that in the New Testament passage that Brother Mark read. We saw that with Joshua when he said, Choose you this day whom you will serve. He demands it. We see that with Elijah on Mount Carmel when he addresses the people. And he says, Why do you halt between two opinions? If Baal is God, serve him. If the Lord is God, then serve him. He demands allegiance. He demands our hearts. He, he asks for us to yield our lives and our hearts to him. But it's through his power. He's not asking us to live the Christian life in our power. Philippians 2 verse 13. It's God who works in you both to will and to do of his good pleasure. God, I can't serve you. God, I can't. Uh, I struggle with these sins. God, I ask you to work in me and to change my desires and, and to give me the ability to live according to your will. It's through God's power. That's where allegiance comes. And I think he's going to make that clear to Peter. There's a lot of different angles we could look at in these verses here, in verses 15 and following. Now, let me just, just touch on verse 14. This is now the third time Jesus showed himself to disciples after he was raised from the dead, which we mentioned. Seventh day, the eighth day, and then somewhere between the eighth day and the fortieth day, he showed himself to disciples this third time. Now, verse 15. So when they had eaten breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of Jonah, do you love me more than these? And I think he's referring to the other disciples. Do you love me? Do you, Simon, do you love me more than they love me? The word he uses for love there, first of all, is agape. Simon, do you agape with the strongest form of love, a self-sacrificial love that Jesus showed on the cross, not only dying for his friends, but dying for his enemies and his apostles who forsook him? Do you, Peter, love me, agape, more than they love me? And Peter responds, he said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. It's not agape love. It's love. And it's a strong term. It should be interpreted love. But it's not a self-sacrificial love. Then he said to him, yes, Lord. And then, and then the Lord says, he said to him, feed my sheep. The idea is, is to graze or to, to feed, to, to minister the word of God, I think would, would be a good way to say that. My, or excuse me, feed my lambs, which is, um, it shows that they're, there's more uh, need lambs would have than, than sheep. He said to him again a second time, Simon, son of Jonah, do you love me? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Same thing, agape love. Simon, do you agape, do you self-sacrificially love me? 
Because you would say, you said, I would even die for you. Do you love me like that? And Simon says, Phileo, I love you, Phileo, but not agape love, but I do love you. He said to him, Ten my sheep, tend to, minister to. And then he said in verse 17, he said to him a third time, Simon, son of Jonah, do you love me? Peter was grieved because he said to him the third time, do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know all things, you know that I love you. This time, the Lord Jesus Christ takes away the God they love. You love me, Peter? Phileo? Do you love me, Phileo? And Peter says, he's grieved because of this, and he says, you know, Lord, all things, and you know that I love you. And then Jesus said to him, feed my sheep. Now, my point here is allegiance to Christ through his power, and I think that bears out. Again, there's many different directions I could have gone here. But I think that's borne out here in verses 18 and 19. It says this. Most assuredly I say to you, when you were younger, you girded yourself and walked where you wished. But when you were old, or excuse me, but when you are old, you will stretch out your hands and another will gird you and carry you where you do not wish. What is he saying here? Saying Peter, he's, and it says in verse 19, this he spoke signifying by what death he would glorify God. The Lord Jesus Christ is now telling Peter what's going to happen concerning his death. First of all, he's going to be older when you're old. You will stretch out your hands. Many people believe that signifies his death of a crucifixion. And he will do it against his will. There are extra biblical writings that point to that Peter... And the account, uh, an extensive book I read, um, or a book I read extensively was on uh, John Mark. And, and the account in that book says that Peter, remember Peter, right? We're, we studied through the book of 1 Peter. We're going to be looking at 2 Peter. But Peter uh, wrote 1 Peter around 64 AD. And that's when Nero, that summer, Nero uh, burnt down. Rome and 70% of Rome was burnt and then because he wanted to rebuild Rome and then he, he, he took a lot of heat, no pun intended, um, and, and then he blamed it on the Christians and I think that's, that's some of the context there of 1 Peter. And so Peter would write 2 Peter and, and Nero would die around 68 AD, he committed suicide by the way, Pontius Pilate committed suicide. And so did Judas, interesting enough. But, but the account that I read is that Peter was ready to be executed, but before he was executed, his wife was executed in front of him. And he comforted her, and then he, they were going to crucify him, and he pled with them, please, I am unworthy to be crucified. Please crucify me upside down. And so when Jesus says, do you love me, agape, because Peter, Peter said he is willing to die for Christ. Peter would love Christ, agape, eventually. He would 
die for Christ, upside down crucified, pleading, apparently, because of his love for Christ. But that love for Christ, and my point, allegiance to Christ through his power. You see, the problem with Peter was, and the, pro the same problem we have, is Peter thought his willpower and his strength. He was determined, I will not forsake the Lord through his strength, through his power. And I think Peter and the apostles were ready for a war. And if there is a war, I think they would have fought in that war and died in it like men. But that's one thing. Another thing to willingly lay your life down, that's a whole other thing. You see, that, that, just, that just grates right across us. But God would give Peter the ability and the power to live for Christ and to die for Christ. Now, here's the, 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 the challenge and the question for us today as we wrap up this Easter sermon. Are we living for Christ? I'm not saying are we gonna, willing to die for Christ. Are we willing to live for Christ? Are you willing to die to self and surrender to Christ daily, daily? Psalm 37, 5, commit your way to the Lord. Lord, here's my day. I commit my path. I commit my way to you. Trust also in him. I trust you. And he'll bring it to pass. Die to self and then... Christ will give us the power and strength to live for him and to be devout to him and fulfill the scriptures that Brother Mark read today. Let's close in prayer. Father in heaven, we thank you for the Lord Jesus Christ. We thank you for his love. He died for us. And Lord, we have to be reminded while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. He did not look on this earth and see goodness. He did not come because there was something special about us. Yes, we're made in your image, which gives us great value. But strictly out of love, because God is love. Christ voluntarily died on that cross for our sins. And Father in heaven, I pray today, if there's any here that don't know Christ as their Savior and their Lord, that today may be the day of salvation. Salvation is not to be earned, but salvation is a gift to be received. And Father, I pray for us that know you as Lord and Savior I trust and pray that we would be, uh, there would be a renewed vigor to serve you and to walk with you. You are a God of forgiveness. You're a God of grace. You're a God of mercy. And you're a God that gives us the power and desire to serve you. So, Father, we thank you for all these things, and we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to this sermon from Old Bridge Baptist Church. 
please consider subscribing to our podcast on the platform that you're currently listening on. We appreciate your support and we hope you have a God-blessed day.